Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Get down with shit. Now, the prank of the year, and savage it is too. On closer inspection, a delight becomes a fright for the phone company. I'm really disappointed about the whole thing. Now look at this, look carefully. T-E-L-E-C-O-M, telecom, and S-U-X, sex. Oh yes. Ain't nothing to work out. Ain't nothing to know. Ain't no way you can grow unless you let go. Welcome back to Prank of the Year. In the last episode, we delved into a weird memory from my childhood about Paul Holmes, Telecom New Zealand, and a sabotage Christmas card with a hidden message. Rewatching the Holmes clip 25 years later challenged my initial assumption that the painting's artist, Mr. Gray Dixon, had hidden the anti telecom message himself. As Paul Holmes had described, The artist assures us none of this was on the card when he submitted it to Telecom, and he's mad about it. This was also reported by other journalists at the time. With virtually no information online, I took a walk to the Central Auckland Library during a lunch break one day and was given a crash course in using a microfiche reader by the incredibly helpful staff at the research centre. After a bit of spooling, swiping and skim reading, I landed on an article from our biggest newspaper, the New Zealand Herald. The article was nestled snugly on page 2 of the Thursday the 23rd of December 1993 edition, the day after the Holmes broadcast. Written by Rochelle Lockley, the article, titled Prankster Hits Cards, went into more detail about the sequence of events. Mr Dixon said from Dunedin yesterday that he was horrified when the sabotage was noticed by a friend who had received a card. He said the prankster had obviously taken great care to alter the original painting before the cards were printed. But the Holmes clip also got me thinking about what my 10-year-old self would have thought about Telecom as a company back in the early 90s. Around this time, telecoms marketing seemed to have a strangely animal-centric focus. A bit of YouTube research unearthed a plethora of TV ads featuring stock footage of nature documentaries set to upbeat pop songs from the 60s and 70s, bookended by whatever promotion telecom were pushing that week. After all she's done for you, doesn't mum deserve a bit of support? 
Why don't you give her a call tonight and catch up on old times? It costs so little and means so much to keep in touch with your mum with Telecom. And then there was Spot, the ubiquitous Jack Russell Terrier that served as Telecom's canine mascot in print and TV ads, as well as other marketing collateral. For advice on the best way to get your business message across town or across the world, call free on 0800 735 735 now and discuss the business services and products of Telecom. That was quick spot. You must have flown across town. Spot, the Telecom difference. Telecom's promotional campaigns painted the company as fun, quirky and dedicated to connecting friends and family together by enabling them to talk to each other. But if that were the case then why would somebody take umbrage with the company? The fact remains that somebody planted Telecom Sucks on the painting, and if the artist himself denies that he's the perpetrator, then any good detective would start to identify other potential culprits. And how would any good detective go about doing this? Well, I'm not sure, but it seemed like a good place to start might be to try and establish a motive. Clearly somebody thought the Telecom sucked. So let's dig into why a person armed with a paintbrush and a vendetta, might have thought that. It's time for a history lesson. I feel that I should preface this with a disclaimer. I'm not an expert on telecommunications systems or infrastructure. If this is something that does interest you, I can highly recommend Connecting the Clouds, a book written by veteran tech writer Keith Newman, and free to read on his website. Keith wasn't available to speak to us on pod, but gave us his blessing to use his words here, which I really appreciate. So let's jump in. New Zealand's history with the telephone arguably began over a century ago, with advancements made on decades of telegraph-based technology stemming back to at least the 1870s. In 1903, lawmakers passed the Wireless Telegraphy Act, and by 1910, New Zealanders had access to coin-operated telephones for local calling. As national and international calling capability was expanding throughout the first half of the 20th century, so too was the uptake of telephone calling across New Zealand. By 1971, more than a million Kiwis were telephone subscribers. Throughout its history, telephone-based communication in Aotearoa fell under the remit of the government-owned New Zealand Post Office. But as demand continued to grow, and new telecommunications technology emerged, the Post Office infrastructure strained to keep up. As Keith Newman puts it, The post office, a government department limited in what it could invest, became increasingly inefficient. The government began to look at the problem and ways to create a more efficient department, and as part of its economic reforms, began looking at ways of putting it on a commercial footing. Under the State-Owned Enterprises Act of 1986, it created several state trading companies, including Telecom. In essence, State-Owned Enterprise is a government-owned company. They're still bound by government policy, and report to the Minister for State-Owned Enterprises. But unlike regular government departments, they operate in the commercial sector and generate profit. The New Zealand Post Office was split into three separate SEOs. New Zealand Post, which oversaw mail services, Postbank, which took over the Post Office Savings Bank function, and Telecom. Keith Newman explains that in 1987, the government-owned Telecom Corporation purchased the assets of the old Post Office for $3.2 billion and began work on improving the services and network as the telecommunications market progressively deregulated. 
This deregulation was seen as a positive step, both by businesses keen to access better telephone services, as well as residential phone users upset with inadequate service, high costs, and, often, long delays in even getting a phone or a phone number. As New Zealand entered the 1990s, Telecom introduced exciting and innovative new products and services, including phone calling cards, the 0800 free phone number, and voicemail. All services that were available overseas, but were brand new in Aotearoa. In September 1990, the government sold Telecom for a total of $4.3 billion, which is nearly $8.5 billion today. No longer a state-owned enterprise, Telecom was now a fully-fledged corporate entity. There was concern at the time among Kiwi telephone users that the sale would lead to more expensive services and make essential communication prohibitive, especially for those in remote and rural communities. While researching this topic, I uncovered a photograph taken in June 1990 that I think best encapsulated the attempt to assuage these concerns. It's a stark, black-and-white image of a man, an unidentified public servant, standing solemnly in front of a large stone tablet almost as tall as he is. The stone plinth bears the New Zealand government crest, with three blocks of text chiselled above it, the three pledges that Telecom has committed to with its sale. 1. Free local calling will remain available to all residential customers. 2. The standard residential rental for a phone line will not rise faster than the cost of living unless telecom regional company profits are unreasonably affected. 3. Phone line rentals for customers in rural areas will not be higher than in the cities and residential service will remain as widely available as it is at present. These promises, literally etched into stone, were the conditions of sale and perhaps the stone tablet was an extravagant way of cementing this commitment. Over the next couple of years, any worry about Telecom's regional profits being unnecessarily affected completely dissolved. By 1992, Telecom's annual profits rang in at $402 million, ballooning from its total annual profit of $69 million just five years prior. These eye-watering profit margins were extracted from the pockets of Kiwi phone users who had no choice. In an age where a landline phone was the sole piece of technology connecting most homes and businesses to the outside world, Telecom remained the only provider in the country. This was a complex organisation that was going through a major transformational process, and my job was to ensure that both localised questions such as why the phone's out in West Auckland, but also broader questions about the process and what was going on, were answered appropriately. The voice you just heard is Dr Chris Galloway, who today is a senior lecturer at the School of Communication, Journalism and Marketing at Massey University. In 1993, Dr Galloway was part of the media relations team at Telecom. I think there was a negative perception due to the fact that there was initially no competition. Um, And Telecom was the telecommunications arm of what had been the post office and was still trying to turn itself into a modern communications company rather than just be the the phone branch of uh, a government organisation. So there was a lot of adjustment that was required improvement of standards in all, all sorts of ways. The company was, was still the, uh, the organisation that people love to hate. 
I can recall one afternoon a talkback host said to her audience, hey, ring up with your telecom horror stories and uh, their switchboard must have lit up because there were lots and lots of people who uh, were uh, sending their complaints in. One of the things that I sought to do as the media relations manager was to build, wherever possible, face-to-face relationships with the people in the media so that I was more than just a name on a contact list. And that meant that I quite often went to um, to talk to, uh, sit down with uh, reporters and journalists of various kinds. There was one morning after Telecom had just raised the price on one of its products where we had sent out a news release on this. This was on the uh, telephone handset rentals. I took three phone calls from radio hosts, including Paul Holmes, before I even got out of bed. That was not what I expected, but uh, that was all part of the job at the time. Our podcast is focused on a, a very small incident that, uh, that happened at Telecom and the defacing of the Christmas card. Do you have any recollection of this incident at all? None at all. 1992 also saw the appointment of a new chief executive officer, Roderick Dean, a stalwart of New Zealand's economic and state sector. In the early 1980s, Dean rose through the ranks of the New Zealand Reserve Bank and played a key role in the constitutional crisis of 1984, which is a topic complex enough for its own podcast. Dean was appointed to the State Services Commission in 1986 and is regarded as the architect of the public sector reforms which led to the State-Owned Enterprise Act passing into law. A year later, in 1987, he became the chief executive of the Electricity Corporation of New Zealand, or Electrocorp as it was known back then, the largest SEO at the time. Dean's accomplishments before, during and after his tenure at Telecom are impressive, and he was recognised for his service in 2012 when he was appointed a Knight Companion in the New Zealand Order of Merit. We reached out to Sir Roderick for an interview, but perhaps unsurprisingly, he declined our invitation. In spite of Telecom's conditions of sales, its record returns, and its CEO's many accomplishments, Telecom and Roderick Dean himself were not without their critics in the early 1990s. In December 1994, writer Mary Holm published a profile of Dean in New Zealand's Listener magazine. He has been a key advocate and key player in New Zealand's transition to a more market-driven economy. He does what needs to be done. Although his reputation has earned him admiration in some circles, others have pointed to the aftermath of massive layoffs. Hatchet Man, they have called him, or Dr. Death. Sir Robert Muldoon said of him, his principal defect is an inability to comprehend the importance of his policies on people. To use former Prime Minister Muldoon's words here, the policies affecting people were tied to increasing efficiencies and streamlining of telecom's workforce. And while much of this downsizing occurred under the watch of Dean's predecessor, Peter Troughton, it was Dean that saw most of the industrial action that was to follow. In February 1993, 10 months before the Christmas card incident, Telecom announced a substantial restructure, an article titled Job Losses Despite Big Profits, which was published in the Sunday Star newspaper on the 21st of February that year, summed up the overall sentiment of this announcement nicely. Telecom announced a massive staff reduction program which will see numbers cut by more than 5,000 in four years, despite announcing a record third quarter profit. 
Chairman Peter Shirtcliffe made the announcement when releasing Telecom's December quarter results, which showed a record $121 million profit. Clearly this record $121 million profit, a direct result of Telecom's deregulation, was pleasing to Telecom's executives and stakeholders. But how did Telecom's staff feel about the change of approach? More on that after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back. Before the break, we learned that Telecom was not shy about downsizing. The Sunday Star article mentions... It is aiming for a target of 7,500 staff by March 1997, compared with around 26,000 in March 1987. That's a staggering 71% decrease in just a decade. In 1993, Jan Lipsky was one of the dwindling number of telecom employees. I was actually 16 when I joined the post office, and I did a four-year apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Or a bit over, bit over four years, four and a half, with the CNN branch in Paurua. Yeah. But the the things I did notice that when telecom um, really changed um, in the late eighties, there was guys missing, going missing every every year. Just in March, just before the end of the financial year, you'd see a couple more go, and a couple more go. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't voluntary, you know, it was like they, some of them didn't want to go and some of them got pushed. Yeah, they got redundancies, but you did wonder whether it was actually just like selective culling. Uh, and the older guys were getting culled out. Yeah, that's sort of the way it ran for a while, mm. up until 93. And in 93, we, well, we got sent on a... Um, putting people first course. I got sent up to, to Kanu, stayed in a lovely motel for a couple of days. And um, they, they had us doing all sorts of things like mountain biking, um, um, belaying down cliff faces, um, canoeing, kayaking. Anyway, it was all to try to make us feel real good about ourselves, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I drove back feeling, oh, it was okay, you know, it was quite quite good. Um, but then we got our letters about two months after that, 
uh, it was just basically the whole lot of us um, got letters saying, well, this is your redundancy package, blah, blah, blah. They were restructuring, and um, your your position was no longer, um, you know, um, liable. The, the post office was one big happy family. Um, there was no comparison. Um, telecom was there um, as a corporate to make money. Uh, they were overseas owned by Bell Atlantic and Ameritech at the time. Um, all the profits would have been going offshore to the shareholders. Um, yeah, the, it was draconian. Um, it didn't take long for it to change. So our, our project that we're looking at is is quite specific. It's looking at a Christmas card that was defaced. Do, mm. do you recall anything about this Christmas card incident at the time? You're talking about 93? Yeah. We're, yeah, yeah. Um, we got a couple of pins in a box, in a cardboard box with putting people first on them, and I, I can't remember a card at all. As we were putting this episode together, our working title for it was Why Telecom Sucked. But the more I thought about it, the more uncomfortable this made me. While anti-telecom sentiment was rife in the coverage that we'd unearthed, and is clearly evident in Jan's recollections, Telecom was also a big company. They provided a valuable service for Aotearoa, and a livelihood for thousands of people. I wanted to find a counterpoint, and shift the dial from Why Telecom Sucked, to did telecom suck? Yeah, from from what from my point of view, I've got I've got no doubts at all. For the for the for the purpose for the benefit of the country, I just think it needed to happen. This is the voice of Warwick Thorley, a telecommunications engineer who worked for the NZ Post Office and later Telecom. This audio is taken from an oral history recorded for Auckland's Museum of Transport and Technology (MoTAT) in 2013. I think the you know I think the post office is somewhat maligned. I, th- I think it, it it did what it was set up to do, it, and it was established at a time when the country was young. It, it, there wasn't room for a whole lot of competitors. I mean, you know, in the, in the in the very earliest days of settlement, it was the last thing on your mind. You know, you, and and therefore a government owned organisation that would establish and run all those facilities. I've got no no doubt in my mind that that's the sort of thing you do. It's just the way you set infrastructure up. We saw that in the Pacific Islands. Where um, some of the, the countries that did the poorest were those that were frankly American-owned, and where they didn't have a, a model of public ownership that got things going. So I think it's the right thing to do. But there was no question in my mind that, from a customer point of view and a country's point of view, that the uh, that the deregulation and privatisation of the telecommunications business has been a, a real success. It's um, whether or not telecoms deregulation was necessary probably didn't matter to our mystery vandal, though. Let's put that aside for now and look into another big theme that kept emerging in our research, telecom's monopoly within the local telecommunications sector. Well, when I, um, as I say, I joined in 93 and uh, New Zealand had been going through a liberalisation of its government departments, its, its commerce, its, its finances generally. Speaking to us now is Grant Forsyth, the former CEO of Two Ans, 
the Telecommunications Users Association of New Zealand. But that was in a, con a world context in which particularly um, telecommunications across many countries were being liberalized. Most people saw CLEAR as um, the organization which really opened up the market, brought innovative solutions. They were the ones who, you know, for instance, brought in calling cards, brought in all sorts of residential uh, calling packages. They drastically reduced the price of uh, national toll calls. Um, and um, on the business front, you know, they also introduced, you know, very innovative um, data products um, and really gave telecom a run for its money. The CLEAR that Grant is referring to here is CLEAR Communications, a telecommunications company that came onto the local scene in the early 90s. You'll recall that it was their logo that was also hidden in the defaced painting alongside the telecom sucks message. We'll be hearing plenty more about CLEAR in future episodes, but for now, just know that they were a relatively small, upstart company that saw themselves as sticking it to the industry giant telecom. And so it did, CLEAR did garner a lot of um, kudos and support, particularly from the business community for uh, its innovation and for its obvious need to battle telecom. Clear's entry into the market demonstrated to, you know, mum and dad at home and businesses what it was that they had been missing out on and what it was that they had been paying over the top for. Um, and that, I think, set a lot of people against telecom. Um, some might say quite rightly too. Um, so I think a lot of people saw how nakedly telecom was uh, constraining clear in delivering to the people of New Zealand. And, you know, as I've said, I think New Zealanders have a pretty uh, developed streak of fairness. And when it's so obvious that um, a Goliath is, you know, keeping its foot on the throat of David, uh, and they are the ones, they being the residential and business consumers, they are the ones who are missing out, then people get, you know, pretty antsy. Later on, probably in the last couple of years of, of my um, involvement with Two Ans, we did start to push back on what was clearly uh, monopoly profitizing by telecom. And we released a number of reports and papers which challenged the government um, to rein in and uh, address this issue. And it was at that time, because of Tuan's heightened involvement and advocacy in the need for better competition, we didn't mention the word regulation, just better competition. Um, it was because of that, that Telecom uh, under Rod Dean left, uh, uh, left Tuan's. Um, cancelled its membership and didn't participate uh, in the the workings of two ends. But yes, it'd be fair to say that I was made fully aware by Mr. Dean of his displeasure at the uh, the course that two ends was taking in advocating for change. Um, so this podcast is focused on a on a very small very particular incident um, involving telecom and clear indirectly, I guess. Um, I've, I've sent you some information about it, but th this was not something that you recalled happening at the time? No, that's right. You, you, you've sent me the, the clip um, 
of the uh, piece of artwork, etc. Um, I don't recall it um, personally. Uh, it was about the time, if I recollect the dates, that I was joining um, uh, two ANS. And so until that time, I, like most other people, weren't that engaged in the, in the, um, the to and fro within the industry. So despite promises carved into stone, an increasingly solid return on investment for shareholders, and a popular marketing campaign based around a friendly dog, Telecom had its fair share of detractors in the lead-up to Christmas 1993. Customers felt that Telecom's stranglehold on the market enabled them to charge whatever they wanted, and if they didn't pay up, there was no alternative way to keep in touch with their loved ones or their customers. Telecom staff went through waves of tumultuous challenges, with a slew of job losses, industrial action and redundancies across the country. Competitors in the telecommunications industry felt locked out of the local market due to Telecom's perceived reluctance to provide equitable access to the infrastructure, despite having mandated agreements to do so. All in all, it seemed that in 1993 there might have been more than a few people in New Zealand who thought the Telecom sucked. We need more facts. And given that the artist was based in Dunedin, perhaps the independent Dunedin-based newspaper The Otago Daily Times might have some more details in their archive. I managed to track down a copy of the December 23, 1993 edition, and was shocked to find that the story about the Sabotage Christmas card was front-page news that day. The article gave me a slew of new leads to pursue, as well as the name of a journalist who was happy to talk to me about it. But that's a story for next time. If I knew that tomorrow would be the last day that I live On the next episode of Prank of the Year, within a couple of minutes, I was thumbing through a large, bound volume of historic newsprint pages. Particularly in those, the early 90s, the Art Society got used for lots of things. The gallery was supervised during the day while exhibitions were on. So visibility on that exhibition space is pretty limited. Prank of the Year is written and produced by Luke Watkinson and me, Craig Major. Thanks in this episode go to Rochelle Lockley, Keith Newman, Dr. Chris Galloway, Jan Lipsky, Warwick Thorley, Roland and Simon at Motat's Walsh Memorial Library, Grant Forsyth, and Ryan Wolf at Brevity Studios. Maddie Mitchell was the voice of the NZ Herald and Sunday Star articles. Terry Hoban was the voice of Keith Newman's Connecting the Clouds excerpts. Nicola Peppercorn was the voice of the New Zealand Listener article. Our opening theme song is Let Go by Kong Fui. Closing music is Cliché by Deluxe Boy. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with others and consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help, and we appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Do you know anything about the DeFace Telecom Christmas card? We'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us directly and anonymously by email at telecomsucks1993, or one word, at gmail.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.